Hey guys, Pastor Bear here. Welcome to the podcast for Real Church. We meet every Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sherpsburg. You can also check us out online at www.realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. I hope you enjoy this week's message. that she would follow what the angel had told her. And then the story of Christmas turns to another person. Imagine, if you will, you have decided that you are going to enter into a contract because you have found the woman of your dreams. You found the woman of your dreams, and in your society, here's what happens. They would, they would, the father of the bride would get with the father of the groom, all right? They would get together, and they would make a deal, like going to buy a car, all right? That's what would happen. They'd get together, and the father of the bride would say, all right, what do you think she's worth? And the groom would, the bride, the groom would say, well, if you throw in oil changes, I'll give you this. You throw in that, and they would barter back and forth. And that's how the agreement would come to be. The man of the, of the groom would barter with the, 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 the father of the bride and they would come together and have an agreement on what would be the dowry that they would pay and they would enter into an agreement and the the future groom would then meet the future bride all right and these two families would enter into an agreement together and that's how marriages would begin back during Jesus's day and what ended up happening was, and this is what would happen. Now, imagine this for a second. You're the father of the groom, and you have paid your dowry. You've paid it. But here's what they would do. They would go through what they called a betrothment or an engagement period. Now, for us today, an engagement period means that the girl gets on social media and she does a little thing where her ring is in focus and she's in the back and she's kissing somebody and they're engaged, okay, for six months to a year is usually what it is. Well, it was different back then. They actually would hold a service. They would hold a service for everyone to come to between the father of the, of the groom and the groom and the father of the bride and the bride. And all the families would come together and they would hold a service, legally speaking, from that point, from that point, legally speaking, they were married, legally speaking. If they wanted to, if they wanted not to be together, they would have to get a divorce. The only problem is, is that the bride would go back with her father for one year, for 12 months. From that day, for a full year, she would go back to, she'd go back to, her, her dad's home and live there and prepare for marriage. And the, the, the groom would go back and oftentimes he would go back to maybe start preparing a home 
over those next 12 months for his bride. And all of those things had been worked out. And everything was ready to go. And scholars think they were probably about eight months into that process. And then we look at Matthew chapter 1. And here's what happened around eight months into the process. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, before the official final ceremony where she would come into his home took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Joseph, son of David. The angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for this child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet that said this, Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus he is eight months into a process where he has found the woman of his dreams. And all of a sudden, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 happens. And we sugarcoat this a lot. We make it sound so, and Joseph was by an angel and everything was fine. And Joseph went to sleep and woke up and was like, yes, Mary, I'll marry you. Well, that's all baloney. There's a scripture that tells us something here if you read between the lines. Verse 20, as he considered this, okay, let me help you out with that. That's code word for he was ticked off and confused, and he was pretty mad. He was pretty upset. Now, the scripture says that he was a good man, and we know that he was a good man, and here's why we know he's a good man. Because there's two things that could have happened to Mary when she became pregnant during the time of the engagement. There's two things that could have happened. The first one could have happened, we see happen later on when, in Jesus in his life whenever there is a woman that's caught in adultery or caught in some type of sexual immorality. They take her out in the middle of the street and everyone takes rocks and they stone her to death. Okay, that's the first thing that could have happened. But the scripture says that he was a good man. And I, I hope we have, I think I put Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24 says this. It says, suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce and hands it to her and sends her on her way from the house. When she leaves his house, she is free to marry another man. I'm so glad that doesn't happen today. Can you imagine? About two weeks into the marriage, You'd be like, well, all right, honey, you burnt the bread and you're getting on my nerves and you don't like the way I hang up my towel. Get the heck out, right? That is, that is what Joseph did. Joseph 
just went to the family and said, listen, I know you said all this stuff about the Holy Spirit impregnating you, okay? I'm not sure what guy's name is Holy Spirit around our parts, but I'm going to give you the letter and you can move on. And he went back just like you and I would do. And he was bummed out. And you know, his dad was ticked off too. He'd already laid out that money. He went back and he thought on those things. He thought on those things. He, he thought on those things. He was considering those things. That means he was at home, bummed out, stressed out, worried, confused, all the above. What a mess. You know he had to be sitting there thinking, what a mess. God, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a good person. God, listen, I, I'm a, I, I followed your commands, God. I, 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 why me? Why, why me? Why is it that I have to go through this? Why, why is it that I have to deal with these things? Why can't some of those guys who do all the negative things and don't really follow you, what about all that? What about those guys? Man, they're married happy. You know, why me? Why me? What a mess. What a mess. And we see in the story that the angel came. And I know you'd like to think that if an angel came down in front of you and said, and especially you guys, hey, she didn't have sex with anybody. She got married. She, she got pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Even if an angel said that, you'd probably go, uh, okay, uh, okay. The scripture says that when Joseph woke up, he got up and did what he said he was going to do. And we know that what happened with them is that they actually did get married probably, probably about three or four months into her pregnancy because the scripture tells us that she went off to visit with her, her cousin for three or four months and then came back and then they got married. And the other reason we know that she was actually married once the baby was born is because there's no way in the world that Joseph would be with her traveling anywhere in any time, in any place, without her father being there. And her father wasn't there. So we do know that they had already came together and they had gotten married. And he married her probably when she was showing just a little bit. And he did what God said he was supposed to do. Can we be honest here and say this? Joseph, of all the people in the Christmas story, Joseph had the heaviest burden to bear. He did. Joseph had the heaviest burden. Joseph had the most to lose. His, his, the, the, the fact that people would disrespect him, would talk about his family. Their family name was a huge thing back then, and he had the most to lose. But I want to tell you something, and this is the first point that I want to make about this part of the story Following God doesn't give you a free pass on problems. I want you to hear that. Following God, following God doesn't give you a free pass on problems. I know for a fact that there's people sitting here that's been told that by preachers their whole life. They've been told, hey, listen, you give your life to the Lord and everything's going to be okay. And that's a lie. I want you to hear that. That's a lie. 
It's a lie when people say, when pastors say that, because following God doesn't give you a free pass for problems. A lot of people think if I follow God, then all my problems are going to go away. No, that's not how it works. If you follow God, if you follow God, the way that you view and deal with your problems will change. But those problems are not going to go away. You're still going to have family that's going to get on your nerves, all right? You're not changing Aunt Gertrude just because you gave your life to Jesus, all right? Now, you can pray for Aunt Gertrude, and maybe one day she's going to change, but how you deal with her will change. It will change if you are following Christ. The closer you get to Christ, the more you begin to look like him, and the more you begin to act like him, and the more you begin to treat people the way he would treat people. You start to look at your problems differently. You start to act differently, but you still have problems. And that's one of the things that frustrates me the most about about a lot of churches is that people come in and they are desperate and they give their life over to Christ. But the truth of the matter is, is that the only thing that's changed is your eternity in heaven. Your citizenship just went from earth to heaven, but you still have to live in a fallen world, and you still have to live among fallen people, and you still have to deal with those problems, and you still have to reap those things that you sowed back before you gave your life over to Christ. And a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll give up. They'll give up on God during that time, during that time when they've given their life over to Christ, between that time and the time when they begin to really see a lot of fruit, they'll give up on God and they'll just become casual members or they'll stop coming at all because they'll say, well, I thought my whole life was going to change. Well, eternally it did change, but you're still living in a fallen world. Now, your perspective will change. How you view things will change. How you react to things will change. As you grow in Christ, those things will change. But problems are going to happen. A lot of people here, uh, maybe you don't even care, I care, and Blake cares, and anyone else that wants to cheer for a fantastic team cares. A lot of people here think that Peyton Manning was the best football player ever to play at Tennessee, and that's a lie. A lot of people think that Phil Former was the best football player to play at Tennessee, and the best coach ever at Tennessee, and that's a lie. A lot of people here think that Jason Witten was the best receiver and the best the best uh, football player ever to play at Tennessee, and that's a lie. And a lot of people think that Johnny Majors was the best player to play at Tennessee, and that's a lie. Inky Johnson was the best player to play at Tennessee. And I would love to tell you Inky Johnson's story, but Inky Johnson does it a lot better than me. So I'm gonna turn, I'm gonna have the lights turned down, and I want you guys to take take a look and listen to Inky Johnson's story. Check it out. I said, I can't move. I said, there's a shock going through my whole body. I can't feel anything, man. I still remember the day I was in the film room watching film and I was watching the California Bears and my defensive backs coach, Larry Slade, came in the room. He said, Inky Johnson, I got some good news for you. And I dropped the clicker and I said, coach, what is it? He said, son, you're a projected top 30 draft pick. He said, all you have to do is play these next 10 football games. You're an automatic multimillionaire. I ran out of the room, I got on the phone, I called my mother and my grandmother, I said, listen, I said, after this season, our lives are about to change forever. And little did I know our lives were really about to change. The first game we come out, play against California Bears, I get an interception, we shut them down, we get the victory. 
Second game, we're playing against Air Force. He gets late in the game, found ourselves in a dogfight. And I approach the tackle like I approach any other tackle. And the way I'm approaching it, either I'm gonna knock you out or you're gonna knock me out. I'm 165 pounds, I can't play with anybody. But at the point of contact, when I hit this guy, something different happened that had never happened to me before in my life. I hit him and it seemed as if every breath in my body left. My body went completely limp, I fell to the ground, I blacked out. I looked at the doctor because I couldn't feel my right arm. They had poked me with all type of needles. Inky, can you feel this? Can you feel I couldn't feel a thing? They took me back, they ran the CAT scans, and they rolled me back into my room, and I'll never forget it. All in about a 15-second time frame, I was lying there in my bed. My father, he went to take a step in, and he looked at me, and he said, son, I can't do it. And he walked out. My mother, she came in, she was running. She kissed me on my forehead, she said a prayer. She said, Ink, everything is gonna be okay, and she ran out. And as soon as my mother stepped outside of the room, the doctor rushed in from the opposite side and he said, hey, get in here, we gotta rush this guy back to emergency surgery, he's about to die. I said, what? I said, my mom just told me everything is going to be okay. He said, son, what happened? You have busted up some clavian artery in your chest, you're bleeding internally. Have to rush you back and take the main vein out of your left leg and plug it into your chest in order to save your life. And when I woke up from recovery, the same doctor was standing over me. He said, Inky, I have some good news and some bad news for you. I said, you got some bad news for me? I have to tell him I was about to die. I'm still alive. How bad can it get? I'm still here. He said, the good news is, son, we saved your life. I said, thank you, sir. He said, the bad news is you have nerve damage in your right shoulder. You probably can never play the game of football again in your life. I said, doc, no disrespect, man, but I'm, I'm eight games away. I've been working for this ever since I was seven years old, Doc. There's no way. God, not now, God. Like, let me make it to the NFL so I can help my family first. Like, I mean, we miss meals. I said, there's no way. I never cheated. I never cheated myself. I gave everything I had to it, and I respected it. I never cheated. There's no way that my career can be over. I said, send me up to the Mayo Clinic. And after several visits, I'll never forget, this is when reality set in. It was me, my mother, my father in the room, and the doctors came in. They said, Inky Johnson, here's the deal. He said, son, we hate to tell you, but your arm, it would never be the same again. Your hand, it would never be the same again. Son, you can never play the game of football again. He said, son, here are your surgery options. We could take a muscle out of the back of your left leg, plug it into your right arm, but there's a possibility that you'll be left with a weak left leg and a weak right arm the rest of your life. Or we could take a nerve out of your left arm, reroute it up to your chest, down into your right arm, but there's a possibility that you'll be left with two weak arms the rest of your life. Or we could take a nerve out of your left rib, reroute it up to your chest, down into your right arm, but there's a possibility that you'll be left with a breathing problem and a weak right arm the rest of your life. By the way, tell us what you want to do in the morning. And the next morning, I walked into the doctor's office. They said, son, what option did you choose? I said, no disrespect to you, doc. I'm not choosing an option. My situation is out of your hands. I said, no disrespect to you, doc. Cut me where you gotta cut me. I said, I know I will come out of this situation okay. As I stand right here on this stage before you today, they cut me six times down my left eye. They cut me two times across my right rib. They cut me two times across my right pec. They cut me one time across the left side of my neck, one time across the right side of my neck. They cut me from the bottom of my armpit all the way down to the bottom of my hand. And after they got through cutting on me, they said, son, you're gonna be in this hospital for the next 40 days. I walked out of the hospital on the third day. They said, you broke a record. How did you do it? And I said, first and foremost, the thing I want y'all to understand, I will never let a circumstance or a situation define my life. is not letting a circumstance define his life. What about you? 
Are you letting a circumstance define your life? You know, a lot of times we think that giving our lives over to Christ means no problems. Well, I got news for you. It's not the truth. It's not true. And I want to be someone who doesn't let circumstances in my life define my life. The next thing I want you to know is this. Just like in Inky Johnson's case, our greatest problem oftentimes becomes the area that God uses to help other people. Our greatest problem, our greatest struggle, our greatest insecurity, our greatest thing that we really want God to take care of, that thing becomes the very area that God uses once he delivers us, he uses that area to help other people. Harold Morris was a guy who spoke. He had went with a couple of friends, and his friends, he was driving in a car with his buddies, and his, and his buddies got out of the car. They were going to go into a convenience store. They went into a convenience store. They, when they went into the convenience store, unbeknownst to him, they actually ended up robbing the convenience store. They robbed the convenience store, came out, jumped in his car. He didn't know what was going on. They drove off. They got stopped by the cops, and Harold Morris went to jail. After nine years in jail, after they had looked at the full, spo- the full spectrum of how, how the whole situation happened, he was pardoned. He was pardoned and got out of jail. But right as he got out of jail, right as he got out of jail, he found out he had terminal cancer. And at that point, he had given his life to Christ in jail. At that point, he said, God, use me for your glory no matter what. And until I take my last breath, I will serve you and glorify you, and I will point everyone to you. Harold Morris was pardoned a second time. Because not only did God save his soul, he healed him of cancer. And the funny thing was, was Harold Morris, he hated jail, and he didn't want to go back in jail, but God said, I want you to go back into the jail. Oh, God, I don't want to do that. I want to speak to youth. I want to speak to kids. I want to speak to teenagers. Nope, you're going to go back into the jail. And Harold Morris sat down, and he wrote letter after letter after letter, and he sent at that time VHS tapes, VHS tape after VHS tape to all of these churches and organizations saying, I want to come speak to your youth. And God said, no, Herod, you're going to go back to the prison and you're going to minister to those people. And after about six months of getting no response, he went to the prison and he started ministering to them. And one thing led to another and one of his ministries began to grow in prison and grow in prison and grow in prison. And a full three years later, the first call came in, Harold, we'd like you to come speak to our youth. And then another, 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 and then another. And Harold Morris became one of the most prolific speakers, evangelists, and motivators of young people in America. And he's from right here in Georgia. Inky Johnson's from right here in Georgia, too. Here's my question to you. It's amazing. Harold Morris died this past past June, and he had terminal cancer in 1983. 
Did he have problems? Yeah. Did he go through a hardship? Yeah. Was it fair? No. Did Inky Johnson have problems? Yeah. Did he have a hardship? Yeah. Was it fair? No. What did God do? Let me tell you what God did. God took whatever they would give him and used it for his glory and gave them lives that are more fulfilling than they would have gotten had God never intervened. And it wasn't, it wasn't because of, it wasn't because of some greatness that they had gotten. It was because of a problem and an unfair situation and because of something that wasn't fair and because of something that they didn't deserve. It was those things for those two men that God used. And the same is true for Joseph. Joseph, the one in the Christmas story that was treated so unfairly, the one that did everything right and had the wrong thing happen to him. Joseph, I don't know if you've ever considered this, but in the Christmas story, Joseph is the one that delivered the Savior to the world. It was Joseph. It was Joseph. Are you delivering the Savior to the world? Even though you've had unfair things that have happened to you, even though you've had events in your life that have happened to you, that you have maybe allowed to become really huge things, but you've kept on to that, and that's become your identity. Harold Morris's identity was not going to be that he was a prisoner who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Inky Johnson wasn't going to be the guy who, oh, yeah, I know that guy. He had a great career, but he ended up getting hurt. Okay. And Joseph wasn't going to be the guy who, yeah, he's, he's the guy who's, whose wife got pregnant out of wedlock. In all three cases, they said, yes, I will follow. And in all three cases, God used them and made them greater than they could ever become. And he'll do the same thing for you. And he'll do the same thing for me. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for the dynamics of this Christmas story that doesn't just get the celebration of Zechariah and the and the unbelievable the unbelievable and unexpected gifts that Elizabeth partook of and that she was able to have and but also the confusion and disturb disturbance from Mary and Yet she was obedient. And then the unfair, the complete turnaround with Joseph. And yet he said, God, whatever your will is, that's what I want. I want us to be a church that says, God, whatever your will is, that's what we want. 
Let us be people that know that we're in a fallen world, but we're not afraid. Let us be people that know that God is on his throne. And no matter what our circumstance, even death, we are victorious. Because not what we've done, but because what you've done, God. And that's the kind of people we want to be. Lord, I pray that you are building this church full of people that love you and that realize that the only answer that you expect from us is to follow. It's in the strong and mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand up and let's sing our closing song. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or if you would like to contact us at Real Church, please go to our website at www.realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us on Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Also, check out our website or Facebook page for directions. Until next time, God bless, and remember to love God, love others, and live real.